So this past month, uh, we've been looking at some of the major reasons why many of us find ourselves kind of done with church these days. And as we wrap up the series today, I thought that I would begin uh, by sharing mine with you. The, the time in my life where I felt the most done with church. It was about 10 or 15 years ago, and it was during, of all things, a teacher's strike, which you might find interesting if you know my story, because it was actually the story of a teacher's strike that was formative to my sense of calling into church work in the first place. It was over a quarter century ago, and uh, my dad, as a school administrator, was telling me a story of a time where he was mitigating a picket line during a labor dispute, and Christian professing parents were driving by and throwing tomatoes at the striking teachers. And that kind of formed what we refer to around here as a bit of a holy discontent in people like me that wanted to kind of encourage and nurture and contribute to a church, at least our church, making a bit more sense of Jesus for guys like my dad. That's kind of why I got into church work in the first place. But now fast forward, you know, 10 or 15 or so years, and there's another labor dispute happening. And at a local school here in town, uh, some of the teachers that were outside uh, as part of the picket line were actually from Southridge. There's three or four of them from Southridge, and they were kind of huddled up, uh, you know, during the, the, the labor dispute. And they were actually sharing the story that uh, my dad had told me that I'd shared with our community many times. They were kind of entering in, imagining what it would be like in their context to have someone drive by and throw tomatoes at them. And at the time where they were having this conversation, all of a sudden, a car pulled up and the window rolled down and the person in the driver's seat flipped the middle finger at the striking teachers. And the striking teachers obviously were kind of taken aback. Some of them were aghast. The, the, the Southridge teachers specifically, though, were shocked because the person in the car who then drove away had been a longtime former member of our church. You got to know that that wasn't the most encouraging moment in my life. That was a time where I really had to look at the legacy and impact that I'd been having, you know, 10 or 15 years into my, my ministry career. I had upgraded our culture from tomato throwing to bird flipping. That was the net impact that I'd had at that point, and it was, it was really defeating. But I got to tell you, even deeper than that, there was part of me that just wanted to walk away from it all. Because of the sheer embarrassment of being associated with people who behave like that, yet profess to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I'm sure many of us have, you know, whether it's what we see in social media or on the news or even locally, you know, people who profess to follow Jesus, but just cause us embarrassment to be a part of this thing we call church. And it makes us at times too embarrassed to want to even bother. The question we want to ask today is, what do you do with that? Well, We've been learning in this series and uh, lately around Southridge that the first thing you do is you look at the person of Jesus. That if we're going to be followers of Jesus who are Jesus-centered, we want to start by looking at the person of Jesus. And interestingly enough, if you survey the life of Jesus through any of the four biographical accounts of his life, you discover that there were many people that he rubbed shoulders with that would have been sources of embarrassment to him or to the people around him. 
And actually, as I was surveying the life of Jesus in this regard, it sort of seemed like there were kind of three different kinds or three different categories of embarrassment that Jesus was exposed to that we want to look at today and discover how he responded to in his life. So the first group that we want to consider are the people that I would say society in Jesus' day was embarrassed of. People that in Jesus' culture, they kind of avoided. You, you, you sort of pushed to the sides or to the margins. Now, some of that, some, some of that marginalization was the product of just cultural norms, you know, subjugating women or, or children to the margins. But some of it was kind of a religious expectation of the culture of Jesus' day. People like the poor, or the sick, or the diseased, they were viewed as unclean, as if getting close to them would like spiritually contaminate you. So you avoided them at all costs. Never mind people who were outside of professing faith, what were referred to as sinners. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he consistently had a, 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 an approach that was very different than what you would have expected in his day. You look at a passage like Luke chapter 15. In verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. We've said many times in an environment like this that Jesus kind of worked against the grain. He sort of swam upstream from the cultural norms of the relational patterns of his day. And with people that society would have been averse to, with people that they would have avoided and kind of been embarrassed of, Jesus actually leaned in. Where people denigrated women, Jesus elevated them. Where people excluded children, Jesus drew them close. Where people avoided the poor and the sick and the diseased, Jesus got close enough to actually make physical contact with them. And with the worst of the worst, these sinners, Jesus not only befriended them, not only shared meals with them, not only visited them in their homes, he attended parties with them and fostered deep and close friendship with them. Right? consistently, where society was kind of averse to certain people because they were kind of lesser than and maybe felt a bit of embarrassment, Jesus had a very different response. You know, when embarrassment could have made Jesus move away, instead of aversion, Jesus offered warm embrace. In these instances of potential embarrassment, where Jesus could have chosen aversion, instead, he chose warm embrace. Second group we want to consider are the group of Jesus' own disciples. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but many times, in spite of Jesus' clear and comprehensive teaching to them, uh, Jesus' disciples kind of got it wrong or messed it up or completely forgot. And as a result, were kind of a source of embarrassment to Jesus from time to time. Think about an example, uh, for example, of the time where a couple of Jesus' disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest in the afterlife, who would get to sit at the right and the left hand of him, completely forgetting and missing the point of the servant leadership that he taught and modeled. Or there was the time where Jesus had asked his disciples to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and they had no idea what to do or where to start, which resulted in Jesus then performing the miracle with the loaves and the fish. Or there was the time where Jesus, you know, shortly before he was going to give his life up to death for the sin of humanity, has, had asked his disciples to do one thing, to just pray on his behalf. But he came back a couple hours later, finding out that they'd fallen asleep. 
in all that Jesus had done for them, he'd asked them to do this one thing and they completely failed. And it was kind of a source of heartache and even embarrassment for Jesus. The one time I thought about most specifically was a time where uh, Jesus' disciples had been asked to heal a boy who had been kind of sick or demon-possessed or they weren't sure what was going on, but they were incapable of doing it. And so the dad brought the boy instead to Jesus. And this is Jesus' response recorded in Luke chapter 9. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Understand, Jesus didn't not feel the frustration and even the humiliation and the embarrassment when his disciples couldn't deliver. But what's interesting in an example like this is that Jesus not only leaned in to help them and leaned in to heal this boy, Jesus kept leaning into his disciples, even when they failed him or failed to get it right. Jesus kept leaning into teaching them, kept leaning into training them. He kept leaning in to including them in his plan to share his love and life-changing message with the world. He never gave up on them, never fired them because they got it wrong, never kicked them to the curb, and never rejected them because even though they were a source of embarrassment, Instead of being ashamed, Jesus offered them grace. Even though at times they were a source of embarrassment to Jesus, instead of being ashamed, he offered them grace and gave them second chance after second chance after second chance. Then there's a third category that I think's probably the worst of all, and that was the people who outright antagonized and opposed Jesus and his purposes in the world, and yet claimed to do that in the name of God. These were essentially the religious leaders of the day, people like the Pharisees and Sadducees who consistently challenged and tested Jesus on his teaching and theology. These were the people who followed Jesus around and tried to play gotcha every time he'd have something to eat or do something on a Sabbath. And these were the people that tried to pin Jesus to the mat or back him into a corner with brain-teasing theological questions. And again and again, I think that they not only frustrated Jesus by, by their challenging of him, but by the hypocritical, inconsistent ways in which they lived. And again, this wasn't something that was unnoticed or that Jesus didn't feel personally and deeply. I think of an example like John chapter 2 where it says there, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. There were times where Jesus reacted strongly. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes he was a little more gentle. Sometimes he, he would answer their tough questions with questions of his own or, you know, speak in riddles or parables. But sometimes he was so outraged and so humiliated by the example that they had turned a life with God into that he flipped the tables over or he referred to them as a brood of vipers or an adulterous generation. But in every case, Jesus continued to lean in. 
Jesus never wrote them off. Jesus never rejected them. He never abandoned them. Jesus always used his voice in love, even when he felt embarrassment and even when he felt anger. Jesus used his voice to speak in to the hypocrisies and the inconsistencies of their thinking and their way of life. And even though these people were a huge source of spiritual embarrassment to Jesus, instead of abandoning them, he put them in their place, meaning he used his voice in love to speak into the inconsistencies and hypocrisies of their understanding of God. Instead of abandoning them because of embarrassment, Jesus put them in their place. Now you put all these three examples together and what do you get? I hope that you can see that in every instance where Jesus was tempted to be embarrassed by relating to certain people, he never actually gave up on them. Jesus never rejected them. He never abandoned them, regardless of how embarrassing they were. If they were kind of an embarrassment to culture, the kind of people that culture wasn't proud to be around, right? Instead of being uh, averse to them, Jesus offered warm embrace. If it was his disciples and they were messing up and getting it wrong and he was tempted to be embarrassed, instead of uh, being ashamed of them, he offered and extended them grace. And with the religious leaders of the day, kind of the worst of the worst, the most inconsistent examples of spirituality in the heart of God, instead of abandoning them, he put them in their place and he used his voice to kind of correct their thinking and understanding. And time and time again, Jesus refused to be done with people just because he was embarrassed. He was never too embarrassed to bother continuing the purposes of God through people. In spite of his embarrassment, Jesus was never done. And I want us to appreciate that this wasn't easy for Jesus. It didn't come automatically to him just because he was God. He was also fully human, and he felt this stuff deeply. Think of the example uh, that Jeff Martins alluded to a couple weeks ago where we were talking about the hurt that can be caused in the church and by followers of Jesus. And he talked about the, the story where one of Jesus' closest disciples named Peter, also referred to as Simon, actually betrayed Jesus by denying even knowing him on three consecutive occasions. Well, Jesus had actually predicted that was going to happen as God. He could kind of anticipate that. But as a person, that would have been immensely devastating to him and embarrassing as his teacher and leader. And yet even before Peter committed those three acts of denying Jesus, those three embarrassing acts of just getting it completely wrong, Jesus said this to him in Luke 22, 32. He said there, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He says, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. After you've devastated me, after you've humiliated me, after you've been an embarrassment as your teacher and leader by denying you even know me three times, I actually want you when you've turned back to be the leader of this band of brothers and lead the movement of my legacy and the continuation of my story in the world. That's how committed Jesus was to people, even in times of deep embarrassment. He never let people down or let them go. He was never done with them. And not only was this not easy, it also wasn't really effective for Jesus in the way that we would typically define effectiveness. Meaning, especially when Jesus challenged religious leaders and spoke into their inconsistencies and hypocrisies, like, 
it didn't work out well for him. In fact, that going there, that not being done by Jesus was kind of his undoing, and it resulted in his ultimate torturous death on the cross. And yet because of Jesus' death, he was able to rise again. And because of his resurrection, his living, risen spirit called his Holy Spirit is available even today to unite and empower forgiven followers of his to continue telling the story of God through him in the world today, through this thing that he referred to as his bride and his body that we call the church. And instead of God telling the story through Jesus, through a he, we've learned now he wants to tell it through a we that can include people like you and me. And in order for us to be compelled by that vision Jesus had of his church today, we first need to be compelled by the person of Jesus and the way that he responded, even or especially in these times of embarrassment, and ask ourselves what it would take for Jesus to do that work in us and for us to follow Jesus fully and faithfully enough to give him that influence and leadership in our lives where we could follow him and default the same way we think about people in our lives that we might be averse to or people that, you know, even our society might say we, we should avoid. Could we allow Jesus to work in our lives where we would respond to them instead in warm embrace? People who are different than us, people who we might be uncomfortable being around, different socioeconomic statuses or, you know, different ages or races or, or different genders or different gender identities or different sexual orientation, people who present differently, different hair, different clothes, different piercings, different ink, you know, people who, you know, maybe look or feel or smell differently, they got bad breath or they got body odor or they, you know, they're a close talker or they're self-talker or a perpetual non-stop talker. Maybe they're emotionally unstable or a little more disproportionately needy. Whatever the case, instead of being averse to that person, could we allow our followership of Jesus and his life in us to work in our hearts in a way where we could default instead, like Jesus, to warm embrace and not be done with that person just because we might be averse to them? Similarly, could we default that way to people who we feel like should know better, people who've probably followed Jesus for some time, but still might be getting it wrong according to our definition of getting it wrong. Could we instead allow Jesus and his leadership in our lives and his transforming work in our hearts to enable us to default instead with grace? Could we extend that kind of grace to the, to the parent or to the grandparent who's a little more old school and maybe doesn't get it in the way that we understand getting it? Could we extend that kind of grace to the casual attender or to the really uncommitted life group member that feels like they're holding us back from time to time? Could we extend that kind of grace to the friend who always keeps conversation on the surface or to that friend who seems to speak in Christianese and, you know, is a bit weird to be around? Could we extend that kind of grace to the person we feel is too busy pursuing, you know, material things and, you know, isn't as into or faithful in the kingdom? Could, could we extend that kind of grace to people we think should know better in the same way Jesus extended that kind of grace to his original disciples? And then to that hardest group of all to the people in our society that stand up in the name of God, yet do things that are in complete opposition to what we know to be the heart of Jesus, instead of just re rejecting and abandoning that person, 
Could we actually use our voice in appropriate, wise, discerning ways, not in a repay evil for evil kind of a way, but could we use our voice to kind of stand up to that injustice, to stand up to that inconsistency and that hypocrisy and use our voice to say, hey, it's not supposed to work that way. You know, could we use our voice to, to speak into that kind of bumper sticker type of preaching or to the televangelist version of Christianity? Could we use our voice to, to speak into some of, the, some of the local politicians who seem to represent Jesus in ways that are really inconsistent with what we know to be his heart? Could we speak into people who are just outrageously offensive on social media, not maybe in public ways, but maybe in private ways where we could go to them privately and have a, a lovingly corrective conversation with them? Could we speak into leaders and communities and systems that find themselves in financial or sex abuse scandal and defame the name of Jesus in that way? Or what about the Christian nationalism that we see emerging, especially coming out of the U.S., that affects us here in Canada, that makes us want to run in the entire different direction? Are there ways that we could speak in to these kinds of movements, these kinds of habits, these kinds of behaviors, and say that's actually not the Jesus way, and use our voice to speak truth in love? At the end of the day, that was kind of the one reason why I didn't completely walk away from all this 10 or 15 years ago in the finger-wagging incident, because it was the same choice that I felt like I had to make back a quarter century ago in the tomato throwing incident, where I had to face the fact, as embarrassing as it was, that, that I had a choice in that, what we call around here, that Gandhi gap, where you feel like, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Either I could completely agree with that, be embarrassed by that, and kind of walk away, knowing if I walked away, nothing was going to change. Or I could give myself and my understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus and let him change and use me to try to contribute to something different, to try to make a difference in that and to try to close that gap. And that's what Jesus invites us into as this Holy Spirit-empowered collective we that we learned in our kickoff Sunday is intended by him to be his witness, to live in a way that legitimizes his reality today in our day and age. But in order for us to be compelled by that vision, we've got to be first compelled by Jesus so that we allow ourselves to be undone by Jesus in a way that makes us undone with his church. I think if we're going to do that today, the first step that we need to take is to not just appreciate the way that Jesus related to people out there, but to appreciate the way that Jesus relates to you and I right here, right now. Look what the Apostle Paul writes to his friend Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 15, he says this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If we're going to really understand and embrace the timeless faithfulness, the immense patience, and the stick to no matter what of Jesus Christ, 
we're going to realize that first things first, he's extended that to us, even when and even though we've been sources of embarrassment to him as well. And even though there have been times where I've lived in ways that Jesus would be averse to, he's offered warm embrace to me. And even though there are times where I've messed it up and got it wrong, he's given me second chances. And instead of being ashamed, he's extended grace to me. And even though it, there's been times where I, in his name, have been so egregiously offensive and contrary to his heart and design, instead of abandoning me, He's leaned in and spoken the truth in love through others in my life. He's, he's tried to put me in my place, and he's never given up on me, no matter who I am or what I've done. And you need to know today that he's never given up on you, no matter who you are or what you've done, and he never will. No matter how embarrassing we are, Jesus has never done, and he invites us to not be too embarrassed to bother with this thing he calls the church. And if we can get there, if we can be overwhelmed by the love that Jesus shows us, then hopefully we can be filled by that in a way that can love others in the same way and can live out this legacy and tell God's story through Jesus in our day and age as a collective we through his vision of what he calls his body and his bride, this thing called the church, by allowing ourselves to be undone with Jesus in a way that makes us undone with church. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you today for your tireless commitment and your kind of unceasing faithfulness uh, to people like me and to us. And even though uh, there are ways that which, in which you'd be averse to us, ways in which you'd be ashamed by the way that we live, ways in which we completely oppose you and, and, and you'd be tempted to abandon us, you don't. You stay with us. You lean in and you're faithful and extend a second chance after second chance. Jesus, I pray that uh, as followers of you, we would really be struck by that today and seek to follow you in this way. And where we struggle to, I pray that we'd rely in an extra degree on your living spirit in us to do the transforming work in our hearts, to have your heart and your mind, to be able to default your way, even and especially in those times of embarrassment. And help us instead to be able to be faithful, to be able to lean in and to be able to embrace this eclectic we that you want us to be a part of, to spread your love and life-changing message in the world today. Help us in a fresh way to be undone by you, Jesus, so that we can be undone with this vision that you have for this thing called church that you love, that is your plan A in the world, that you've called your bride and your body, that you want us to identify with today. Not as a third-party entity, but as who we are in our identity and our mission in you today. So please make us those people. We look forward to watching you work. And we thank you in advance for who you are in us personally and as a community. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.